Good morning on this first Sunday of 2021. Our scripture readings will be taken from the books of 1 Peter and Acts, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, and the book of Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and verses 28 through 35. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when Christ's shepherd, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to, to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. There's an old saying that talks about the fact that if it weren't for bad memory, I wouldn't have a memory. Uh, there are two things I meant to mention before. One, obviously, Happy New Year. As Ray just mentioned, this is the first Sunday of 2021. And our hope and prayer for each one is that this is a great year. Uh, that we are able to move past uh, the events of 2020 and enjoy health and many good things. Well, it be a while before we get to that point. The second thing I wanted to mention, uh, which just is absolutely f- fabulous, is that last Sunday, being the last Sunday of 2020, uh, and we've, we've known for many, many years that people tend to do catch-up contributions toward the end of the year, but the collection last Sunday was uh, just under $20,000 which is just absolutely fabulous, so that our uh, annual average giving 
was just uh, about $270 a week uh, below what we had hoped for. But that was, we, we scheduled, you know, planned that before we knew we were going to have COVID and all of that. Uh, but the generosity of this congregation is just absolutely fabulous. And it's one of the privileges of uh, serving as uh, one of the elders uh, for people like that. Okay, so what we want to do uh, is to talk about, and I thought about different titles, but I call this sermon Shepherds of the Flock. I want to start by talking about the church uh, in the New Testament concept. I think what's really interesting, uh, the, that there are only two occasions <clears throat> in the Gospels where Jesus uses the word church. You know, with all of the emphasis and all of the understanding and all of the importance that we give to it, um, it's only twice. Now, the first one is particularly significant, Matthew 16, verses 14 to 19. And Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he asks them, who do men say that I am? And I've kind of summarized this by, you know, this is the discussion, who am I? Who do men say that I am? And, you know, they respond by naming many of the uh, Old Testament prophets. Uh, you know, the <coughs> culturally, people were not really sure what to do with and how to relate to Jesus. <coughs> and Jesus then says to the disciples, the apostles, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. The son of the living God. Bang. Peter has just nailed it in a very powerful, straightforward way. Uh, and Jesus' response to him was really interesting because uh, Jesus says, you know, that the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Uh, but in that context, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, gates of death, will not prevail against it. And then on to the apostle says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. That's the New American Standard Version, which is the literal Greek. Uh, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, not giving the apostles legislative authority, but rather saying they will be carrying out what heaven has decreed. The second use of the word church is in Matthew 18, where, and we, we, we talk about this as a passage talking about discipline, where a brother doesn't repent, and finally, uh, it's necessary after trying to confront him, after taking other witnesses, uh, that it may be necessary to tell it to the church. But that's the interesting thing here, that as much as we know about the church, as much as we hear about the church in the New Testament, that Jesus mentioned it very infrequently. But when we get into the book of Acts, which is what we want to do, is take a bit of a, of a dip, if I could call it that, into, into Acts, and think about the leaders. So what we find is that the church in Acts uh, is focused on the apostles. Chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, Day of Pentecost, that the apostles, and actually there are about 120 in Acts 1, meeting in the upper room. Uh, and we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
before that happens, we have the replacing of Judas. Uh, but it's still focusing on, on the apostles. We move uh, into Acts. And kind of what's interesting here is that we get to chapter 11. And we have what we consider to be the appointing of the first deacons. They're not referred to as deacons there, but in the context, the language there uh, uses the word diakonos, diakonia, uh, which is the word that's translated deacon, because they're appointed to look after the distribution of food to the Greek widows who are being neglected. And the apostles say it's not good for us to leave the ministry of the word to serve tables. Uh, and so we have that new group. They are leaders, uh, but they are and, and are given responsibility. But what's interesting is that as we uh, move along, uh, we find in chapter 11 a reference to elders in the church. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm always curious. When I read a passage like that, and it comes to suddenly introduce something that hasn't been mentioned before. Elders in the Jewish synagogues has been mentioned, but not elders in the church. And suddenly we find reference to elders in the church. And, and I, I just put a note here that uh, both Peter and John, who are apostles, also in their letters refer to themselves, that reading that we had from First Peter, as well as the Apostle John, refer to themselves as elders. So they seem to have served in that capacity as well, which you can kind of think about. But it isn't until chapter 14 that we find appointing elders. Paul and Barnabas have gone on the first missionary journey. They've gone up to Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and now they're coming back through the places where they had been before and had established churches as soon as they appointed elders. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, my experience is that it takes a lifetime for people to become elders. And they're appointing elders like within what seems to be months of their first visit. And part of the answer might be two things. One is that you're dealing with probably many people who come from a Jewish background are very mature people, uh, knowledgeable in the Old Testament, and also people who, uh, the, the second point is, uh, have received gifts from the Holy Spirit. But it seems very, very quick for that to be happening, you know, from the uh, result of the first missionary trip in the book of Acts. All right, move a little further in time. And we find Paul writing to Timothy and to Titus. And this is guesstimated about 63-64. And writing to both of these men, Timothy is in Ephesus, Titus is in Crete, and encouraging them to appoint elders in every place. So, we have seen elders somehow come up in the church in Jerusalem and then spread from there and and then initially being appointed by the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, missionary journeys, 
But now evangelists are being given that responsibility. Uh, but we want to note a charge that Paul gives uh, and Peter gives to elders. So there are three interchangeable Greek words we want to notice or identify. So as Peter and Paul address these leaders, Peter refers to them as shepherds, or Paul, yeah, Peter refers to them as shepherds, and Paul refers to them as elders. And tells, Peter and Paul both tell their readers to shepherd the flock and oversee the flock. The, the word for shepherd is sometimes translated uh, kind of in the, the religious vernacular as pastor. Uh, and the Greek word for oversee is episkopos, epa, over, scopos. You know, you get the word scope, you see, uh, overseer. And, and so you, you, you get the idea, though, that, and I'm going to let the NIV study Bible sum it up. Their, their note on this verse says, the same men could be called elders, overseers, or pastors. Pastors in the New Testament were not ministers. They were not preachers. They were elders. They, those were the ones that were given that responsibility. And I think that's really important because you know, a lot of religious communities... Don't do their Bible study. I hate to say that. Sounds really tacky, but it needs to be pointed out that the role of the elder and the identity of the elder is also as the overseer and as the shepherd. Okay, these are the three concepts. And I put this up here as kind of the three more formal terms that are often used. Presbyter, bishop, and pastor. Well, actually, what those come down to is the idea of elder, overseer, and shepherd. And that becomes really important when you look at the idea. And essentially what these are, because they're all interchangeable, is a spiritual leader with the wisdom and experience of age. Now, I realize not everybody is, is, is wise because they're old. But in other words, it's the idea that in the kind of people that you want to have as elders, this, this should be, this should be true. Uh, so this, the wisdom and experience of age, who has been entrusted with the stewardship. See, a stewardship is something where a person who has something that they give to another person, not just to use, but to look after and care for. And so, to care. Uh, for Christ's flock. That's a very significant, very important role, a very distinct role. Uh, now, I think we probably can see where this fully originates in a passage that doesn't really deal with church leadership, but yet it does. In John 21, Jesus is dealing and, and facing the apostles after 
his resurrection. And there's a dialogue there between Jesus and Peter. And it's a really interesting one that often gets, I guess, lost. Part of it is there's a, there's a, a, a triple uh, question and response. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Uh, and by the third time, Peter's getting really frustrated. You know, in the Greek, there is an interesting thing here is that the first two times Jesus uses agape, which is the highest form of love, and the third time Jesus uses phylos, which is the friend kind of love. And so some will kind of point to that as saying, well, maybe Jesus has kind of dropped down. Uh, you know, and so the, the dialogue could be like, Jesus says, do you love me? And says, Peter says, yeah, I like you. Do you love me? I like you. Do you like me? <laughs> uh, and others will look at that and say they don't think that's necessarily significant. Uh, that what's really happening here is Jesus is reinstating Peter after his triple denial. And that's kind of what's going on. I, I think I see something else in here. Uh, which is really important because with each one of Peter's responses, Jesus responds with something that parallels feed or tend my flock or my sheep. In other words, if you love me, you are going to take care of my people. You're going to look after them. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that role would be. Uh, So he wants Peter to see to the feeding, the care, and the protection of the flock. So we can understand how later in his life Peter would introduce himself as he writes to the elders among you in 1 Peter 5 to say, as a fellow elder, as a fellow shepherd, as one who has also been entrusted with this very important, very significant ministry. And so all of that is in terms of looking after and caring for Christ's flock, his church. So as we think about how, from the apostles, as the gospel spread and as the church spread elders were appointed people specifically appointed to look after Uh, and so we get then the qualifications Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus to tell them what is involved uh, in the type of person and we're going to read it very quickly and then uh, if you really want to pursue this, in the material that's going to be sent out, there's some good discussions about that. Uh, so 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul addresses the overseer, you know, the, the role of overseer. So here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. One quick comment. There needs to be a desire... But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there are people who covet the role for some reason. And uh, you can think about how displaced that becomes. They want power. They want authority. They want, you know, that's, you know, Peter will say not lording it over the flock. Uh, 
This has to be a person who has a servant mind or mentality. Uh, so the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Similar statement, shorter, he writes to Titus. This time using the term elder. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, who are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it had been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we, we see in, in those statements, in those passages, the really important idea um, of both the description of the um, qualifications and, and the role. So I, I kind of summed up both of these to suggest that an elder is a mature Christian who is of sound faith, good moral character, have healthy marriages and families, are good examples, have good reputations, and are able to teach others. You know, uh, if I can use an example, I didn't get permission from Glenn to do this, but many years ago, back when Osborne Street and before Glenn, Glenn was a deacon at the time, and was working as a manager at Superstore. We had some visitors come into church. Glenn was up at the front, and the visitors saw him up there and pointed to him, to one of the members of the congregation, and said, I was in his store last week, and he helped me so much. He was just so incredibly helpful. I really appreciate that. And you think, that's the kind of people, the kind of, a uh, way that the the church and the I mean all Christians should present themselves to the community like that, but especially when you know you're able to point to somebody and say, "Well, that's one of our elders," and you're not going to oh man, I hope <laughs> I hope didn't get into trouble here. Uh, that it, an elder is a person who has the respect of uh, not only people within the church but people in the community. All right, so I want to make a few observations here. Uh, and I've got to say, this is this is the first book, or you probably figure out, I've talked so much over the years, I've probably used about the 31st book of Turner. Uh, but if I can su- suggest some things here. One is, you know, as you look at the passage about elders, elders are not elected. I, I heard somebody say one time, uh, in the past, well, I didn't vote for him. Well, we're not asking the church to vote for anybody. If you think about with the the qualifications and the roles, that part of what we need to be doing 
It's finding in the congregation spiritually qualified, mature Christian leaders who, and I've been thinking about this all, you know, actually for weeks that I've been working on this lesson. Uh, when I have talked with young people about their goals for marriage, you know, and you know, young people looking ahead, oh, I want to get married. And, you know, you think about the, the reasons that some young people get married. And you're like, oh, no, 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 all wrong, you know. <laughs> it's going to help me make a lot of money, going to help me have a lot of things, help me get prestige, you know. I think that we need to find spouses, mates, that are going to help us get to heaven. That's what it needs to really boil down to. I am privileged to have a wife. Um, you know, I probably it's the, the, the best example of good sense that I have had through my whole life is to have a person, a companion, a helper, but a person whose whole life is such that she is encouraging me to be better and to do more. And to be more Christ-like. And so, when I make it to heaven, I start to say, if I make it to heaven. I should say, when I make it to heaven. Uh, a lot of it will be because of her. And that's the kind of people that we need as elders. People who are going to help the church and help individual Christians uh, to make that ultimate goal. But we also need to realize no one is perfect. I have said when I've preached on elders before, and many will remember it, and I've said it many times in our conversations as we have been building up to this, is that if we want to demand perfection, we open the baptistry, have all the men walk through it, and anybody that can walk on water will become an elder. And you know, that's not, we're not going to have any elders. We are all imperfect. But, We remember that the qualifications are relative. Each person will have different strengths and weaknesses. It is, you know, what I I have learned, and I think when we moved here 43, almost 43 years ago, and I got to work with with an eldership that was just phenomenal, but it was different. There was Jack King. There was Herman Johnson, Merle Johnson, Barry Mayer. They were all different people, different personalities, different approaches to things, different thoughts. But what worked was how they worked together. It's the plurality of the elders. And that's the thing that we point out. That's when you look at elders in the New Testament, they're referred to in the plural. You know, you may have, you know, Paul saying to Timothy, an elder referring to it. But when you actually see the function described, for example, in Acts, it's elders. And it's that plurality. It's not a one-person show. Uh, it's the balance of different people, different spiritually qualified leaders, mature leaders, working together. And the safety and well-being of the church, I think, really rests in that plurality, in that, in that larger group. Uh, so, the list in 1 Timothy and Titus, are not checklists. Uh, many years ago, I came across a congregation where they had put out surveys 
And the surveys were set up as checklists, and a check, one of these sheets was done for every man of the congregation who might be uh, elder material. And they were all rated, and then somebody tried to do a numerical score, counting up the points. And when they got to the end of it, you know what they did? They buried the surveys. Because these were not complete men. You know, one of the things, you know, we talk about the church as a body, and you think about, okay, your body is made up of many different parts. You know, your, your bones form the support. But you have a lot of, you know, ligaments, tendons, skin, a lot of what are called supporting tissues. And there's a more complete picture that we need to have of elders and their qualifications. We need to see a larger picture. You know, if I asked you to describe me to somebody who is trying to draw a picture of me, and you're going to get some of the highlights, right? Got eyes, two of them, right? Nose, mouth, big mouth, ears. But do you think a person would be able to draw the complete picture based on your description? Now, there's some people maybe more... I know, I know there are artists that work for the police that are able to do that off these descriptions. But the reality is is that there's a more complete image that we need to have. We need to see a larger picture. We need to recognize that these are men, mature spiritual leaders, that they are an important leadership role for the church. So, kind of change hats from preacher to elder. We've had a lot of discussions, uh, many discussions that go back for years, uh, back even before Dave King passed away, when Dave was still with us, and then uh, after Dave passed, and then uh, Jim retired, And we recognize that there is a need to appoint additional elders. Our goals are to have some younger men. You know, it's, it's interesting to sit down at the table of our existing elders and say, hey, guys, we're not getting any younger. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Glenn is the youngest of us. I'm second youngest. You're going, oh, my. No. Uh, Gary's just a little bit older. And we won't talk about John's age. <laughs> he just had a birthday. So, uh, But in other words, we recognize that to be reflective of the congregation, uh, we need some younger men to be involved in it. Uh, ultimately, and I, I want to include this, we want the eldership to reflect the diversity in the congregation. That has started to happen among our deacons. And maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years for it to really be reflected in our eldership. So we sat down and identified those that we believe to be qualified, mature spiritual leaders. Uh, that, that really was quite a process as we talked about it. Uh, and then what we did is we spoke to them. 
there were some that did not feel that they were ready to step into the role. Uh, we have spoken with them and also shared our plans with our evangelists who were part of much of the discussion and our deacons, our last elders, deacons, and evangelists meeting. We, we outlined the, the plan and the people that we have in mind. There are four who have agreed to serve. We hope to formally appoint them in two weeks. We welcome, I want you to understand, we welcome your feedback and invite you to respond to us, talk to us directly, you know, by phone, by email. Uh, We realize that this is a very awkward time to be doing this But we can't keep putting it off. We want to go forward with this. Uh, And if I could just point out that we ask that you pray for these men, their wives and families, for us and the congregation. And I I just want to make a point here is that um, Paul in writing to Timothy uh, talks about elders and talks about deacons in the middle of the discussion about deacons throws, say, let the women, let their wife, their women, let their wives. And, you know, the commentator's question was, is he talking just about the deacon's wives or the elder's wives? But other words, that we, we understand that an elder is not alone in their role. That the wives of the elders are tremendously important and play a significant role um, in their work. Uh, many of the hands-on shepherding types of things, caring for people, uh, it's, it's important. It's critical. Um, so we ask that you pray for them. Um, we believe we have an excellent group of four uh, to join us. And our plan is, uh, well, all of them are already serving as deacons. And have shown themselves to be servant leaders. So, and you're thinking, okay, shut up, Turner. Let's get on with it. Let's find out. <laughs> okay. All right. So, here are the four. Uh, Vince and Stacy Anderson. Um, I was saying to Diana that I was going to make a, a comment or two about these people. When we moved here uh, almost 43 years ago, uh, Vince was preaching for the West Winnipeg congregation over on Burnell Street. And we had some very great times that we got together on uh, getting to know him back then. And then over the years, as Vince has gone through different projects, and then Vince went to work uh, as president of Western Christian College. And that was a great move. You talk about parenting, being president of a Christian school, you know, you got a hundred kids or however many were, were students at the time. Uh, Vince especially has a heart, and Stacy for for caring for people, for sharing, for teaching. Uh, Vince is ready to teach. Vince preaches for us regularly in, in our schedule. Uh, it's great to have them here. You know, when they, they said they were moving back to Winnipeg and. Going to be joining us at the center. I was just so excited about that. Um, 
I did not take these pictures. Uh, Tim and Darlene Locke. Tim and Darlene have a heart for young people. They have a heart for fellowship. And Tim especially has a heart for worship. Um, and has been very involved in getting our uh, praise and harmony workshops and our learning of new songs. Richard and Wanda Weeb. And I, you know, I, I think about Richard and Wanda. Um, they are, I think, very much the heart of this congregation. They got the clothing giveaway going from the very beginning. They got Celebrate Recovery going. Does that tell you what kind of people they are? What kind of concerns and hearts that they have? This is the kind of people we need to be overseers, shepherds of our flock. And then Billy and Pat Lung. And they are the, the can-do type of people. They are willing to do everything they can. Uh, Billy involved in our education program, uh, university students. Pat has been our one-person tech team when there was really nobody else to, to look after it. But they have very much been, you know, if it, something needs to be done, if somebody needs to be looked after, if somebody needs a ride, they are the ones in there. As I said, I think we have a tremendously strong team. I'm excited by these people. And I hope you are too. And I hope that you will use the next two weeks as a time to affirm, um, support, encourage them. Um, It's one of the challenges. It's a new step for for all of them. Um, I'm just so thankful personally for each one of them, husbands and wives. And I look forward to having them as part of our, our eldership Leadership, shepherdship, that word, uh, team, uh, because I think they will bring to our congregation more. They've already been doing it, but I think they will bring more. And their insights and their faith and their spiritual maturity will help. So please feel free to share comments. You can email the elders at elders at winnipegchurch.ca. Uh, you can give us a call. Our numbers are in the directory. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, let's sing our next song.